This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Okay, we now turn to our trusted contributors from the Canadian Cancer Society and the difficult subject of difficult to treat cancers. Lung cancer is the largest cause of cancer death and also one of the toughest to treat, as is brain cancer and pancreatic cancer. The Tragically Hips Gord Downey has shone a light by talking about his incurable brain cancer, and many of our listeners are aware of my struggle and miraculous recovery from pancreatic cancer, which is the deadliest form of the disease. Uh, we want to hear from you if you have questions or comments or experience with these terrible diseases because basically there is, there is no one, there is no one, almost no one who has not been touched by cancer. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. I'm here with Dr. Kelly Fathers. She's the Senior Manager of Research Communications at the Canadian Cancer Society. She's going to talk about the latest clinical trials and research and we will also found, find out how to reduce exposure to uh, various toxins and to reduce chances of getting lung cancer from radon toxicity, which can be in our homes. Uh, Dr. Fathers, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Libby. Okay, so um, lung cancer, largest cancer killer, um, no end to that in sight. Uh, what are some of the things on the horizon with that terrible disease? Yeah, well, you know, when we, we do talk about the stats, I will say that there is some good news with the stats um, in that the lung cancer incidence and death rates are declining in Canada. And the we are seeing the incidence rates of lung cancer in women starting to stay now. And the difference between men and women is that men actually started to quit smoking earlier than women, which is why we're seeing that lag in women now. But yes, you know, it does take more lives than breast, colorectal and prostate cancer combined. And so it is incredibly important that we continue to focus cancer research into this cancer to make an imp- impact. Yeah. And, and one of the problems uh, with lung cancer and treatment for lung cancer is that there's a, there's a stigma attached. People think you have lung cancer, you brought it on yourself. Right. And that's not necessarily the case. I mean, smoking is related to about 85% of lung cancer uh, cases, but you know, it's not the only cause. Uh, the second leading cause of uh, lung cancer is actually radon. And, and this is uh, what causes most non-smoking uh, cases of lung cancer. Okay, tell us a little bit about that because there really isn't that much that is known about it. Radon is is a naturally occurring gas, right? That's right. So it's a radioactive gas that you can't see, you can't taste, you can't smell. It occurs naturally in the environment and it's released in the air as soil and rocks containing uranium start to naturally break down. But radon can actually attach to dust and other particles in the air 
And so the most common source of exposure to radon is actually indoor air. Really? Mm -hmm. So um, what can people do to make sure they're not being exposed to it? Well, there are test kits that you can buy to put into your homes to test for radon levels. And uh, these cost about $50. And you can use them over about a three-month time frame, usually in the winter. And you can take the information from the kit and actually can send it off to get tested to see what the levels are in your home. Mm -hmm. And uh, what would be a safe level? I, I thought, is, is it true that there are some kinds of uh, granite or things like that that can give off radon? Um, so the levels should be around uh, below uh, 200 uh, Beckwills per um, millimeter cubed. And um, again, Health Canada recommends that uh, people get remediation, so actually get some work done around your house to reduce radon levels if it is above that level. Okay. Um, back to uh, some of the harder-to-treat cancers. One of the biggest areas of, of hope for cancer treatment now is immunotherapy. And there is some immunotherapy, immunotherapy drugs that, that work for some kinds of lung cancer, right? Right. So, yeah, immunotherapy is, is a type of emerging type of therapy that's quite promising where we're really trying to use our immune system to attack and destroy cancer cells. And we are currently supporting a clinical trial looking to see if this could be a test for lung cancer. We know that it does work for certain types of cancers like melanoma. Yep. And so we are, certain, we are actually supporting a clinical trial looking to see if it could be used for lung cancer. Yeah, I, but I think that um, there was a little bit of evidence already that, yeah. that it can be effective for that. Yes, and there's a couple other different uh, cancer types as well where immunotherapy is being looked at as a, a, a cancer treatment. Okay, and it's, it's not kind of um, one thing. There are different immunotherapy drugs. Right, so there are different types of drugs that uh, use different ways to stimulate your immune system. One of the other things that are currently being used are these oncolytic viruses. So these are cancer-fighting viruses that can uh, attack cancer cells but leave no normal cells unharmed, but they can also help stimulate the immune system as well. So in addition to drugs that can actually kind of get your immune cells to, to boost the activity, there's also these viruses that can also help to uh, boost your immunity and, and directly attack cancer as well. And where are we at with those? So some are currently still in the lab. Um, for example, we are looking at some of these cancer-fighting viruses for the treatment of pancreatic cancer and uh, glioblastoma, uh, which, which is, is a, a brain, brain cancer, cancer that is hard to treat, uh, as well as ovarian cancer, which is another hard to treat cancer. So, you know, we are looking at that in the lab to see if we can develop these viruses to work effectively. But in addition, there are a few clinical trials that are going on to see if these oncolytic viruses can be used uh, for the treatment of cancer. So, for example, we're supporting four clinical trials that's looking at one particular cancer-fighting virus called Reolysin to see if it could be used to treat breast, colorectal, uh, prostate, and lung cancer. And, and that's a human trial? These are human trials, yes. So okay. these are clinical trials that are happening right here in Ontario. Okay, well, that's, uh, that's good to know. Let's uh, take a call from Tom in Etobicoke. Hello, Tom. Hi, Libby. How are you today? Fine. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. I'm phoning in, uh, not so much with a question. Uh, my wife died of esophageal cancer 10 years ago. Sorry to hear that. Oh, thank you. Why I'm phoning is that esophageal cancer is about the second deadliest to pancreatic cancer. And one of the things or the leading cause of cancer of the esophagus is heartburn or acid reflux. And a lot of people 
myself included, <clears throat> until this happened, would be going out and buying the anti as uh, uh, you know anti aspirins, you know uh, Tums, Rolex, etc. <clears throat> and if you read the small print in those bottles, and believe me, it's in small print, they say if this persists for two weeks, please see a doctor. But everyone kind of pops them like aspirin. And what happens to the esophagus is uh, your bowels and stomach are coated, but your esophagus isn't. And when the acid rolls back over, I guess, a prolonged period of time, it creates a problem and causes perhaps tumors there with the tissue. So I'm kind of using it as a format to get the news out there. If you've got acid reflux or you've got heartburn, don't continue taking these tablets for it. All you're doing is suppressing the symptoms. Go and see a doctor and get proper medication. That is excellent advice, Tom. Thank you for that. Thanks, Tom. You're welcome. You guys have a nice day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye now. That's excellent advice. And, and uh, when it comes to pancreatic cancer, you know, that type of thing can be one of the symptoms. I remember that it took me a long time to be diagnosed because it's difficult to diagnose. And, and uh, the first thought that my doctor had was that I had some kind of acid reflux. Right. And, I, you know, I can say that uh, I lost, I just recently lost an uncle to esophageal cancer. Oh, so sorry to hear that. I can, I can understand, um, Tom, uh, you know, your experience of just having lost a family member to that disease. And I have lost two family members to pancreatic cancer as well. Um, so I think just to reiterate what Tom was saying, if you're feeling any sort of uh, symptoms, it really is best to talk to your doctor and, and, and persist if the problems aren't going away to well, continually getting checked. Well, exactly. They can be very hard to diagnose. Part of the problem is that family doctors don't see these things, so they don't know right away. And, and it's like you've got to know your body. And if something is wrong, you know, you know your own body, something is wrong and, and keep at it till somebody finds the cause. Yeah. Be an advocate for your own health. Okay. Uh, we have to take a quick break. Uh, I'm here with our trusted contributors from the Canadian Cancer Society. We're talking about difficult to treat cancers. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. I am here with Dr. Kelly Fathers, who is the Senior Manager of Research Communications at the Canadian Cancer Society. We are talking about hard-to-treat cancers and uh, the three at the top of that list, pancreatic cancer, brain cancer, and lung cancer. And uh, most of us have become a little more aware of brain cancer because of the very tragic case of Gord Downey from the Tragically Hip, uh, who uh, has terminal brain cancer but is uh, carrying on, boy, as best he can with that terrible disease. Why is brain cancer so difficult to treat? Yeah, uh, well, I'll just start off by saying that Gord is definitely inspiration. Um, so what makes uh, this brain cancer glioblastoma, what Gord has, hard to treat is, you know, not only is it fast growing, but it can actually easily invade into a lot of the normal tissue within the brain. So it makes surgery, for example, quite difficult because it's, it's quite challenging to remove all of the tumor out within the brain. You, we know what an important organ the brain yeah. is 
for all of us, right? Um, the other reason to to think about, which maybe a lot of people not may not realize, is that we have something that's called the blood-brain barrier that's uh, built in within us to um, really prevent the passage of molecules to our brain. It protects our brain from infections, for example. But when we have cancer, the problem is, is that a lot of the drugs that we use to treat cancer can't actually bypass that blood-brain barrier to actually use be actually used to treat cancer. So there's a lot of research going on trying to, trying to discover drugs that can get past that blood-brain barrier to actually treat this form of cancer. Just yesterday, I heard something about some uh, brain, I don't know if it was a laser or some kind of deep brain stimulation. It was, it was something physical mm -hmm. where they put something in the brain, and it was uh, for, for the treatment of cancer. Are you aware of that? I haven't heard of that study, uh, but I do know that there is a lot of different research going on to try and find new ways to treat this type of disease. Uh, one way that we're actually studying, uh, that we're supporting through our research, is actually looking at repurposing drugs that we know already go to the brain that could be used to treat glioblastoma. For example, um, we do know through research that this type of brain cancer actually relies on a chemical that's produced in the brain called dopamine mean for the cancer cells to actually survive and grow. And there are actually drugs out there, um, anti-psychiatric uh, drugs, for example, that target uh, dopamine. And so we're looking to see actually if these types of drugs could be repurposed to actually treat uh, this type of cancer. That's really uh, interesting. Uh, let's take a call. Uh, Margaret in Kitchener. Hello, Margaret. Hello, it's me again. Um, I, I I want to get back to the acid reflux uh, situation. Uh huh. So many people have it. Yes. And it's it's. I I really believe it's because they eat too close to bedtime. Now they go to the doctor. The doctor doesn't give them any advice. Don't eat so many hours before bedtime. Right away they put them on ranitidine or or one of these uh, anti reflux uh, medications, and. Uh, these, I know two people now that have had esophageal cancer, and they were on one of these drugs. So um, wh when I talk to people, I tell them, don't eat a couple of hours before bedtime. And if you do get it, get up, drink a gallon of water, and bring up, and you're fine. Uh, uh, doctor of fathers, I, I mean, I don't... I don't trust the drugs. You yeah. don't, well, yeah. Yeah. Well, Margaret, thank you for sharing your advice with us today. Um, I, I haven't heard of any uh, research looking at uh, these drugs in, in relation to esophageal cancer. Um, you won't because it's the pharmaceutical. Yes, go ahead, Kelly. Um, but, you know, I, I will say that, you know, there is a lot of research done out there worldwide that does try and look to see at things that can cause cancer and uh, th things that are constantly being monitored to look for that. Uh, right. I mean, I guess it, it's probably a healthy idea not to uh, eat before bedtime. I don't uh, know that it would prevent cancer. Uh, and, uh, yeah, healthy eating is uh, always a good idea. That's right. Okay, uh, so um, let's get back to some of those treatments, uh, some of the newer treatments. We were talking about brain cancer. Uh, what about for pancreatic cancer? 
Okay, well, for pancreatic cancer, uh, you know, we are looking at the idea of, of personalized medicine yep. for pancreatic cancer. So what does that mean? Pancreatic or personalized medicine means finding the right drug for the right patient. And, you know, there's been a lot of research in the last number of years looking at the biology of pancreatic cancer. So what are the mutations that are causing this cancer? And so we're actually supporting a clinical, tri- a small clinical trial right here in tr- uh, Toronto that's uh, looking at, you know, common mutations that occur in pancreatic cancer and looking at specific drugs that could be used to target it to see if this could be a way to treat uh, pan- some pancreatic cancer patients. Well, exactly. So the the, the thing uh, that, uh, you know, it used to be that cancer was treated by body part. So everybody who had um, I won't say breast cancer because that has been broken down for a long time, but mm-hmm. everybody who had pancreatic cancer got the same drug. But, but the, the fact is that even when the tumors look the same, they're in the same place, they don't have the same genetic makeup and personalized medicine says, okay, let's target uh, the genes. And, and pancreatic cancer has been particularly difficult and that was kind of the breakthrough with my case is that they realized that it was uh, the result of a genetic mutation, one that I was born with that normally causes breast and ovarian cancer. Right, the, the BRCA gene. The BRCA gene. Yes. And uh, I'll just uh, actually to follow up, we've talked about uh, breast cancer subtypes. Actually, there was a paper published this year um, in one of the the top science journals in the world that showed actually that there are four subtypes, so to speak, of pancreatic cancer now. So when we talk about these subtypes, it means that they have their own distinct biology. And so the idea is is that we can use this information to maybe help develop tailored treatments eventually for this, like similar to what we've done for breast cancer. Well, and exactly. And, and, um, you know, usually uh, some of these things get tried with breast cancer first because there's so much more research so many more patients and 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 all of that because uh, you know it, it can be that the the gene expressed in a pancreatic cancer is the same as in as in breast cancer ovarian cancer another kind of cancer right right it, and it, and that's what's you know wonderful with the research going on is that you know sometimes we might make a discovery in one type of cancer but it could be applicable to other types as well yeah um, though the thing is it does generally take time that's right to migrate because of uh, the, the cycle of of clinical trials uh, maybe you can uh, tell us a little bit about that uh, Canadians actually uh, have a better participation rate in clinical trials than Americans and, and people from other places what is it take to get into a a clinical trial? Well, to really get into a clinical trial, it really is best to talk to your oncologist or healthcare provider to see what options are available for you. Um, You know, we support the Canadian Cancer Trials Group, which really carries out clinical trials all across Canada and worldwide for, you know, all different types of cancer, including rare cancers. Um, So there are clinical trials available, but it's just a matter of finding out if you are the right fit for a particular clinical trial. So it's best to talk to your oncologist, tell them if you're interested in learning about more about clinical trials and to see if there's one that uh, could be the right fit for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, often uh, they, it's only for people where you've tried other drugs and they haven't worked, people whose cancer has spread, correct? 
Uh, in some cases, that's often maybe with a phase one clinical trial where they are trying to um, look to see a new treatment, if, what the toxicity is or if there are any side effects. They might test that in, in patients with more advanced disease. But, you know, there are clinical trials available um, to, to, you know, follow up your, your standard of care. So it is really best to talk to your doctor and see what's available. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, how long does it take generally to get through the process of a clinical trial? There are three phases in a clinical trial. I think that mm-hmm. often after the second phase, though, the, the drug is more or less available. Uh, so the, the third is, so the first one basically tests kind of the safety of of the drug. The second phase of the clinical trial generally starts to test how if it's effective or not. The third phase compares it to the current standard of care. Is this a better option than what we currently have? The whole clinical trial from phase one to the time that it's available in the clinic can take upwards of 10 years. Mm-hmm. It's a long time. It is a long time. Uh, so uh, people, if you have questions about clinical trials, whether they're a good idea, uh, we are talking about difficult to treat cancers. We have just a few minutes left. The number is 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And I'm here with Dr. Kelly Fathers from the Canadian Cancer Society. Uh, so we know that there, there are all kinds of uh, different ideas in the pipeline for these difficult-to-treat cancers, though it can be very difficult. It can be very frustrating, you know, for somebody who is ill now. It's true. It's true. Uh, you know, yes, there is a lot of research going on right now trying to understand a lot about the biology of these different hard-to-treat cancers because the more we can understand about that, the more treatment options we can try and bring forward. Um, you know, again, there there are clinical trials available for each of these to try and bring forth new treatment options. Um, and in some cases, not in every case, it could provide, uh, you know, a new alternative to something uh, for someone. Okay, um, let's see if we can get a few calls in. We've got Steve in Brampton. Hello, Steve. Oh, hi, Libby. Uh, I have called in before. I, I lost my wife in March to a rare cancer, same as Rob Ford. Oh, but, so sorry um, to hear that. Yes, I remember your call. How are you doing? I'm as well as can be expected. But I wanted to uh, chat for a minute. I've talked about clinical trials, but <clears throat> when we first were diagnosed, uh, one of the chief oncologists down at Princess Margaret, I'm sure you'd know the name if I mention it, but I won't, uh, he said, you're going to be bombarded by well-meaning friends, and they all have cures. Yep. And one of the things that I still feel, I guess, a little bit of guilt about is um, the research. She was always doing research, and I thought to myself, you know, you're going to drive yourself crazy. Uh, but, you know, it was her life and it's her experience, and I'm not saying I would do anything different, but I don't know if anyone has any really practical advice to offer. Because, I mean, when I watched your TV show, yes, it was your persistence and your, you know, your, your persistence that, that led to, you know, your, your very excellent outcome, but... Well, it it was I was persistent, but it was my doctor's brilliance because I I wasn't going to come up with uh, that thought. I mean, it, in terms of research, 
I think it really depends on the person. So for me and for your wife, I did a lot of research, and but part of it is, you know, kind of, that's what I do. I've been a journalist for my entire adult life. Some people, they don't want to know. They want to go to the doctor. They want the doctor to tell them what they should do, and they do it. And it, it also varies from cancer to cancer because, um, say, with breast cancer, usually there, it's like a, there's a menu, and the doctors generally say, well, you have a choice here. Uh, you know, with pancreatic cancer, there isn't that much choice. So I really think it's individual. The only thing that I would say is that if you are doing research, make sure you test the sources that you're getting it from because we were just talking about fake news. There's a lot of nonsense out there, and you're right. There are a lot of well-meaning people who will tell you vitamin C, asparagus, or whatever. Those those things do not cure cancer. No, and alkaline, and then we we did all the natural. We did everything. But okay, I'm I'm really sorry. We were running really late. Okay, I'll say goodbye. Thank, Thank you. you, Steve. Um, Kelly, um, ten seconds. Sorry. That's okay. So if anyone would like any more information on what we discussed today, please visit cancer.ca slash fight back with Libby. Okay. Thanks, Libby. Thank you so much, our trusted contributors from the Canadian Cancer Society. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.